Today's message is on fellowship. Now, fellowship is perhaps one of the biggest concepts in the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, especially the letters to the church. Fellowship is what the Christian life is all about. Can I have 1 John chapter 1 up there, please? 1 John chapter 1. Say fellowship. fellowship. Now, in the New Testament, the words fellowship, communion, say communion, communion. friendship, okay. right? Sharing, generosity, distribution, those all come from this Greek word koinonia. Now, one of our groups is called koinonia, right? If you go to that group, it will help you, right? The other, uh, Jeannie's prayer group, they call it the prayer group. I, I, I call it the conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. The conspiracy. It's a conspiracy over there. Those, those women in there praying, changing the world, amen. They're not even telling you what they're doing. They're just praying, okay. <clears throat> I'm going to read. That which was from the beginning. How important is this now? The Apostle John is writing this near the end of the first century. Uh, Bible scholars believe that he was probably over 90, nearly 100 when he wrote this. He may have been the last surviving apostle because the others had all been martyred. Peter was hung upside down. Uh, The Apostle John well, they tried to boil him in oil, and he walked away from it. And so they uh, exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, where he received the revelation. Okay. But he is writing to his children, he calls them. My little children. He's talking to the churches that he birthed. And at the end of his life, an old man is going to tell you what really matters. Hopefully. And that's exactly what he, he did here and his writings have been preserved for us. I think it would do us some good to just listen carefully what the old man has to say. Don't you? He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. What's he, what's he talking about? Anybody know what he's talking about? Jesus. He's talking about his personal encounters with the master himself, Jesus himself. He said, our hands have handled him. Remember when Jesus said, handle me. A spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see me have. After he was what? Raised from the dead. He wanted them to, he says, check me. I'm alive. It's real. He wasn't Casper the friendly ghost after he was raised from the dead. He was, he's real today. When you see him, you'll see that he still has the scars on his brow where they put that crown of thorns on his head. He still has the stripes on his back by which I'm healed. He still has the holes in his hands or probably in his wrist, which I guess the Greeks called this part of your hand. Because if they nailed him here, it would have slid out on the cross. So they more than likely nailed him here where it would catch that joint to hold him up on the cross. You'll still see those, those covenant marks on the master when you meet him. Soon. Next verse, next verse, please. For the life was manifested. 
and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. Can I please have a simpler version, maybe like an NLT, please? Or Thank you. This is the one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal. He is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Jesus, you've got to understand, is God, and he dwelt with God in perfection in eternity past as God with his Father. Now, if you, if you go to the wrong church, they'll say, well, yeah, he was a great prophet. He was a seer. No, he's Lord. Jesus is God. Say that with me. Say, Jesus is God. Now, now the, the Muslims, if, if you ever talk to a Muslim about this, they don't have the concept of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but the concept certainly does. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, right? And they saw the Spirit of God descend on him in a bodily shape like a dove, and they heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. There is the concept of the Trinity right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> but if you talk to a Muslim, they say, God is one. That's what, that's what Muhammad said, God is one, and he has no relationship, no covenant with mankind. He has no family. He has no son. That's what the Quran says. No covenants, no family, no son, no family. God by himself isolated from the likes of you and me forever. Our God is different. Our God made, him, made us, we came from him, we're made of the same stuff he's made of, right? And he came and became one of us and died for us and identified with us and identifies us with him. That's the difference. There's another big difference. Am I smiling enough here? Am, am I showing my teeth too much? Or am I smiling enough? Am I being nice? Praise the Lord. This is good news. The Muslims say, you say your God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We say God is one. So you guys believe in a, a, a polytheistic God, and we believe in a monotheism. Hold on a minute. Any, any, anybody ever graduated third grade math in here? One, two, three, four, four. Okay. What's, Gary, I'm going to put you on the spot. Since you hassled me last Sunday, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tough. What's one plus one plus one? Three. Good. Yeah. That was only half a finger there you held up. Is that the one you got caught in that meat grinder? All right, here's a school teacher here. I'm going to try the hard one on the school teacher here. What's one times one times one? One. One. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one is one. Well, I don't understand that. Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just believe it. Just believe the Bible. You'll be fine. Amen. You'll be just like me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Next. Uh, no, stay here, please. We proclaim unto you that we ourselves actually have seen and heard. Why? Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. John says, the whole point of my life and ministry is that you may have fellowship with us. 
Notice what he does not say. He does not say that my whole life and ministry is so that you can get rich quick. Crickets. <laughs> okay. He does not say that the point of my whole life and ministry is to build a big church. The point of my whole life and ministry is to get everybody healed. Those are all good things, aren't they? But he says the point of my whole life and ministry is fellowship. He says, I'm, I went to the Isle of Patmos and suffered. I was boiled in oil and suffered to get this message to you. That you may have fellowship with us. Who is us? The body of Christ. Very good. But the body of Christ, right? And with God. You notice Jesus came and, and, and said, this is my body Take and eat all of it. And we call that what? Communion. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's exactly the same word in the English. Communion, fellowship, it's the same word. Jesus came so that we could have communion with him and with the Father. And we put all, you know, Brother Hagin talked about majoring on things of minor importance. Hmm? Some churches, I mean, they major on things like smoking and drinking. Right? Huh? Right? Sex and politics. Right? <laughs> I'm going to major on what the Bible majors on. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to make an all-inclusive statement. I'll, make, I'll package it a little bit. I'm saying this is one of the most important things in the New Testament for sure. Fellowship. Let's keep reading here for a minute. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. What is fellowship? Let's talk about it. Fellowship is deep sharing. It is deep trust. It is deep knowing. The deepest forms of fellowship are between a husband and wife. Amen. Two friends that have grown up with each other and know and trust each other for a lifetime. Somebody you trust like two, two men in the, in, or, or a, a group of soldiers that have been through fights together. They come to trust one another with their lives. It is a fellowship. It is a koinonia. There is a deep trust. That's why it hurts so bad when it's broken. That's why a broken marriage hurts so bad. And that's why some people are afraid of marriage. Because they're afraid to be hurt. Hmm? Well, the greatest rewards are surrounded by the moat of risk. Hmm? Hmm? Well, I can't have any risk in my life. You're never going nowhere. Right? You're going to stay right where you're at. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so, uh, so that you may fully share our joy, the joy of fellowship, right? Next, please. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if he's talking about fellowship, think in your heart about light and darkness. See, when you're in fellowship, you're walking in the light. Praise the Lord. Next verse, please. 
So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, This is strong, guys. This is strong. This is strong. This is strong. God brought this church together. He brought you here today for fellowship. He brought you here today for fellowship. Do you know you can fake your Christianity? Huh? We've seen it. Have you seen it? If you've been to more than one church in your life, you've seen you've seen the probably some counterfeit stuff. Did you know that you could pay tithes and not even love God? Amen. There's some people that do it. They think that tithing saves them. Or they'll just tithe because they think it'll make them rich. Or they'll just tithe because they don't want God to break their stuff. (laughs) Huh? But you know, if you have fellowship with your wife or husband, you'll never get divorced. Divorce is alien to fellowship. It's like they they don't mix. If you're in fellowship, you'll never commit adultery. Let me tell you about some things that break fellowship. Half-truths. You know, when husbands and wives are brother and sister or pastor and, and, uh, and member. If we tell each other half-truths, are we in the light or in the dark? Huh? If, if Cindy asks me, where were you last night? And I went to four places, but I only tell her two. Is that okay, ladies? Huh? Why not? It's in the dark. I'm breaking fellowship. And you know, she's she's pretty smart cookie, let me tell you. You know? But it's possible I could pull the wool over her eyes. It's possible that I could trick her and make her think that I wasn't where I was supposed to be, right? It's possible. But is there fellowship? Is there koinonia there? I've broken it. And if she finds out about it, what's going to happen to her heart? What's going to happen? You know, there's a, there's a verse in, in the Proverbs that says, A brother offended is harder to win than a walled city. Fellowship doesn't get offended. But fellowship doesn't lie to my brother. Praise the Lord. There's a lot i got to say today, and i only got a couple of minutes left to do it, right? So I better get in my notes here and let the Spirit of God help me. Amen? There's some things that fellowship can't do. Fellowship doesn't put guilt trips on people. Hmm? Hmm. Hmm. Fellowship doesn't try to make you feel sorry for me because of everything I've gone through. 
or how hard my life is. I'm breaking fellowship because I'm manipulating. Manipulation breaks fellowship. Boy, it's quiet in here. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's some things that fellowship won't do. Some things that fellowship can't do. Because there's trust, right? And that's why when we break trust, it's so devastating. I could just feel like, like the toolbox is opening and God's reaching in there and he's looking for the right tool, right? <laughs> he's working on, we got we to get this out. It's got to be right because this is so powerful. This is so, so big. There has to be honesty, friends. There has to be honesty on a deep level, on a very deep level. Think about the things that keep us from being honest with each other. Think about it. Why would we tell somebody a little white lie when they ask us, are you coming to church? Well, you know, I really wanted to, but you know, my dog's cousin's psychiatrist uncle's nephew had a flat tire, and I had the only air pumper thing in the zip code, and therefore I could not come to church, right? Why don't we just say no? Are you coming to church? No. Well, why not? Because I don't want to. You preach too long. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. There's a lot of people who don't preach as long as I do. But they don't give you free lunch after either, right? Amen. Come on, praise the Lord. Amen. Come on. Okay. You don't get all of this, right? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, just in my studies of uh, uh, just looking at it, I saw something I've never seen before. The 1 Corinthians is, a, is about relationship. It's about relationship. The first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's talking, he's saying, you guys are still carnal. There's envy, there's, there's competition. You guys are backbiting and backstabbing one another. This is carnality, the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Then he talks about marriage. Then he talks about judging each other. Then he talks about resolving legal disputes within the church. Really? Can you imagine that? I'm going to sue that guy. You mean the guy sitting across the room from you in church? Yeah. Really? He talked about sex and marriage. He's talking about relationships. And then he goes into uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. What's he talking about? Anybody know? Now, there are diversities of gifts, but one administration, right? Uh, different administrations. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Why does he have to talk about the gifts of the Spirit? Is because they were making that the whole thing, where when we get together, we all prophesy. Everybody's prophesying. Everybody's laying hands on everybody. But you're cheating your neighbors. He talked about communion. 
He said, why do you act this way? How come you would shame a poor brother and come get loaded and drunk during communion and he's over here starving? It's about, it's about relationship. The whole book of 1 Corinthians is about relationships. And he had to set some things straight about the gifts of the Spirit because they didn't have their priorities straight. If you read it, he says, covet, covet to prophesy, desire the best gifts, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Thir- uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not what? Love. It profits me nothing. What's love about, y'all? It's about people. It's about your relationships. It's about transparency. It's about honesty. Look at the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's 13, verse 4 through 8. Right in there. Read it in the Amplified Bible. In fact, maybe we should do that. Huh? Can you put that up for there for me, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8 in the Amplified Bible. Praise the Lord. It's about, say that, it's about relationships. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Are we enduring long? Or do we get mad with somebody the minute they don't wiggle right? Hmm? Love is never envious or boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. Doesn't always have to talk about itself. (laughs) Yes, Pastor. Amen. Can you go back, please? It never boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious and does not display itself haughtily. Does that help? (laughs) Verse 5. Am I too close to the camera? It is not conceited. Are you out there? Did you go home? Y'all with me here? Do I got any friends left in the house? Did I chase y'all off? It is, love is not conceited. Fellowship is not conceited. Arrogant and inflated with pride. I tell you, pride is, is, is a dirty double crosser, friend. Because you're the last one to know you're full of pride. It's like bad breath. Everybody else knows you got it. Huh? Pride stinks. And we all have a propensity to walk in pride. Self-pity is a form of pride. Poor old me. Nobody loves me. That is a lie from hell. God loves you. I love you. And I might have to help you understand that. Amen. Praise God. You got to get out of, get out of self-pity. It's nothing but pride. Because pride says... I, I can't see myself the way that God sees me. Pride is seeing yourself through a twisted lens. And if you see yourself as a victim, you're not seeing properly. You're not seeing clearly. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You were created in his image. You have a divine destiny. God wants you well. God wants you wealthy. And not just so you can sit there on the couch and count your stacks. But so that you can uh, be a destiny changer for those around you. There's people around you that have never heard half of what you already got in the last 38 and a half minutes. Amen. Amen. 
It is not arrogant, inflated with pride. It is not rude. Not rude? Really? Not rude? Love is not rude. It does not act unbecomingly. <laughs> what does acting, unbecomingly, uh, acting unbecomingly look like? Drawing excessive attention to oneself. Are you out there? Did you go home? It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Wow. Say, let's do it your way. Tell, tell your faith buddy, say, let's, let's do it your way. And mean it. Yeah, but you don't know, Brian. They're, they're going to get over on me. Fear. Fear. I can't, have, I can't let people walk on me. I don't let people walk on me. But I know when to get it, give in and get out of a fight. You know, <laughs> I, like the Apostle Paul says, I know both how to be abased, but Charles Capp said, I know how to get out of a basement too. All right. So <laughs> it is not self-seeking. Let me, you want to know how to get rich? Crickets. Nobody here. Anybody? Is my microphone working? You want to know how to get rich? Stop trying. I mean, you're working your fingers to the bone anyway, right? How much progress have you made? Just, I don't want to see a show of hands. I can tell you from the little bit of experience that just trust in God, taking a step back and say, you know what, Lord, I can't do this anyway. I'm just going to sow some seed in good ground. Bless God. Praise your holy name. Walk in love. And stop worrying about it. And money's going to start coming to you. Opportunities are going to start coming to you. Ideas are going to start coming to you. One idea could make you a multimillionaire. Amen. One little idea. You know, we talked about the guy. I mean, how many ideas have come to people like that in dreams? Uh, Brother Keith talks about a, uh, a man that God showed him a vision. I think he went to sleep and had a vision about some mechanical part on a diesel engine or something. And he patented that thing, and now he just lives on 10% of his income from that patent. Can you imagine just living on 10% of your income and having a summer home and a winter home and a spring home and a fall home and go into any car dealership in Colorado and pay cash for any car you want? Get on your private jet and fly around on 10%. Give it away 90%. Close your eyes and see, see that 10% see that at the top that, you, that, that belongs to Jesus anyway, right? And then flip that and say, all right, that's my 10% and this 90% belongs to you now, Lord. You want to break out of a shortage mentality? Start seeing yourself as a great giver. It is not self-seeking. Now, now don't, don't go crazy and say, well, I guess I, that means I'm just not supposed to pay my rent, right? Hmm? I'm not supposed to wash my clothes? No, wash them up good. Amen. Use some deodorant. Amen. Do it for me. Amen. All right. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Boy, it is so quiet in this house here today. Amen. T say, t tell your faith, buddy. Are you touchy? Are you touchy? Fretful? fretful? Resentful? 
Repent ye. <laughs> you know, if you're talking about what they done did to you, we were talking to, me and Cindy were talking to a, somebody, I'm not going to tell you who. And this fellow was a ranting and a raving about what they did. There was a situation with a house and they broke it and they did it. They tore down some stuff and they made a mess and they messed up the house. And, and uh, I just asked him, I said, brother, wasn't that like 1987 or something? He said, yeah. I said, and you're still mad about it? Yeah! I said, buddy, that ain't normal. That was a long time ago. There's a lot of water under the bridge. I mean, you, you got to live life, man. Right. Yeah, but what about what they did to me? On the way to church today? On the way to church today, somebody cut you off or honked at you when the light turned green and you were texting. You got your feelings hurt, right? And you're going to let that wreck your day. You got to let that go. You got to let that go. You got to let it go. Come on now, grow up. Let's all grow up together. Say, let it go. Tell your faith buddy. Say, you got to let that go, man. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. You weren't created to carry these dumb burdens around. You got to let it go. 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 Tell your faith buddy. Say, let it go, man. I said, let it go. Pastor said, let it go. I'm watching you now. Let it go. Right? Touchy, fretful, resentful. Well, Pastor, you don't know. Nobody's ever done nothing mean to you. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. You know the difference between that mindset, a victim mindset, and a victor mindset? You don't care. Right. You don't care. You know, my dad, I'll just use my dad. Is it okay, Dad, if I talk about you? Okay. My dad, so many people took advantage of him because he was so generous you know if you're wealthy and generous people gonna get you and they got him all the time houses cars free education you name it they got it from my dad he never kept score never kept score he couldn't even tell you there's one guy that worked for us old Chucky Swain I'm gonna name a name today in church here today <laughs> Chucky, if you're watching, God bless you. I love you. Hope you're doing well. Me and Chucky Swain almost got in a fist fight one time. And his daddy said, it's probably a good thing you didn't, boy. Anyway, uh, Chucky worked for my dad. And my brother paid him for the work that he did. Well, Chucky went to my dad and said, y'all didn't pay me. And my brother came and said, yeah, we paid him, Dad. We paid him. Dad said, no, nah, just pay him again. Pay him again. Not touchy or fretful or resentful. Takes no account of the evil done to it. Did they do you wrong? Did you get a tattoo when they did? Huh? Are we commemorating? The, are we commemorating, right? Are we commemorating the negative milestones and telling the story over and over and over and over and over till you're sick of yourself and everybody around you is too. Uh, I went through a very tough divorce, uh, 1988, 89. That's when I got saved, right in the middle of that. And I, uh, 
I wanted everybody around me to know that this was not my fault. I made everybody around me miserable over that. Hmm? And then I got to hanging around with a good-looking young Mexican chick here from Westminster, Colorado. Amen. <laughs> we were sitting in the park one cool summer evening. And I was rehashing for the umpteenth time everything that other woman done did to me. And she's patiently just enduring, right, this long-winded speech like y'all are kind of doing right now. Amen. And, you know, I, I talk a little bit about personal prophecy in church, a little bit. I don't believe that every time you meet somebody that God has a word for you or for them. Something about a blue boat and a kitty cat that fell in the water. Am I close? And the sharks came up and bit it. And the sharks swam away. And he waved a flag that said, Dallas, Texas. What does that mean? That means stop eating pizza with anchovies at midnight, for crying out loud. <laughs> that don't mean that's the Spirit of God trying to, you know, teach you something, show you some mysterious... Here's something that Pastor Mike Ware taught me many, many years ago. Christian people, when you have a dream, you know what it means. You don't have to go ask everybody what that means. You wake up, you know what that means. And if you don't, pray a little bit, and God will show you. And if it's not God, forget it. Yeah, but it was really weird. Okay. That don't mean it's from God. That's right. There's evil spirits trying to haunt you and tempt you and confuse you. Smarten up. That's not all from God. Right. So every now and then, there's some personal prophecy that I've found that's valid in the body of Christ. I was sitting in a convention in Fort Worth, Texas probably 25 years ago, in between meetings after one speaker was done, the lunch, the lunch break, I think it was. I'm sitting all alone. There might have been eight or ten people and somebody sweeping floors, and everybody else was out to lunch. I'm just sitting in the middle of the convention floor, just sitting there, just sitting there. And a lady walks up to me, puts her hand on my shoulder, and says, Thus saith the Lord. Something about something or something, some, 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 something. Amen, says the Lord. Amen, walks away. What is that? Anybody? Baloney. Personal prophecy with no relationship, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. It might be God, but if it is God, listen, it should be a confirmation of something you already know, bud. You already know, like you know your own name, you're supposed to be going here and doing that. And somebody you know, one of your elders more than likely... Is going to say, why don't you go do that? There's your good prophecy right there. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes when we give advice, it's, it's good personal prophecy. It may not seem like, I may not go like this to you. I may say, you know, you're going to clean the coffee cups out of the back seat of your car. Amen. I mean, you've been praying about a new car, right? You want a new car? Yeah. Clean up the one you got. There's your good prophecy. Amen. Take that to the bank. Amen. Glory. Smile, everybody. This is good preaching. Amen. So, so I got a personal prophecy that night from Cindy, and she didn't know it was a prophecy. She didn't know it was a prophetic utterance from the Holy Ghost. I'm sitting there whining and belly aching and griping about everything they done did to me, boy, and it was something else. Let me tell you, it's a long, rambling tale of woe. 
And she got tired of hearing it. You know what she told me? Three words that changed my life. Get over it. Put me on a pathway to a new destiny. Opened, I mean, panoramas and vistas of opportunity that uh, up to that time I didn't, uh, would have never seen. Because I was clinging tenaciously to my narrative, to my story, to my problems. I was taking account of the evil that was done to me. And sooner or later, you know, we just got to grow up and say, you know what? That's over. Well, don't I have to counsel and go, you know, go back into the womb, you know, and relive my ancestors, blah, blah, blah. Go through all this regression therapy, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't. Well, you're not validating my pain. Jesus validated your pain. He suffered your pain exponentially worse than you will ever experience, and he did it so you don't have to. Why don't you just push the stuff across the table to him and say, all right, Lord, you take it from here. I'm done. Amen. That's what the, that's the, what the cross is for. Well, I don't believe in that. And you'll never receive it until you submit to the word of God. All right? It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice. Doesn't have a party when somebody has a failure. Uh, Even if you didn't vote for them. Say amen, please. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything. We're talking about fellowship. You want to have fellowship? You got to walk in love. Amen. Love bears up under anything. And you, you might be thinking in your mind, I can't do this. Neither can I. Love does this. There's something that comes on the inside of you when the Holy Ghost comes to live in your life. When you give your heart to Jesus, you really give your heart to Jesus. He wants to do this through you. And you've got to give in to the process. It's a journey. You're not going to get there in five minutes. It's a journey. Amen. Tell your faith buddy, say, it's a journey. Get up and start moving. Amen. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever, here we go, hang on, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. You know, for always magnifying the faults of our loved ones. That just don't take no creativity. It takes a lot more creativity to bring the good out of somebody. And sometimes it takes a lot of long-suffering, years of long-suffering and prayer and faith to bring the good out of people that you know is in there. But it's, it seems like sometimes it's never going to come to the surface. Keep, come on. Believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless. If you have a long-lost loved one you have not talked to in decades, its hopes are fadeless. Under all circumstances, no matter the pressure that may be on you. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never grows weak. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. 
As for prophecy, well, we'll talk about that in the rest when we go into all of that. Say fellowship, fellowship. never fails. Say communion, communion is an eternal blood covenant. Say that with me one more time. Communion, communion. is an eternal blood covenant. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you. I told you to turn there and then I sidetracked you. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I don't want you to have fellowship with devils. And all God's people said, Amen. It says, Be not, of uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? I said this on Wednesday night at Pastor Chris's church, and I want to thank you and commend you guys for showing up so strong uh, down there. I mean, you guys really made us look good. Amen? Uh, my tithes and offerings belong in fellowship. I have a tithe account. When money comes into my hands, we chop off God's percentage and put it in a tithe account. First, we don't wait to see how much we're going to have left over. And then we'll maybe think it over a little bit. Well, I got I to do this. I got to do that. And then God, you know, whatever. That's his. That's his. The fall of man was over a failed stewardship. So uh, that's God's money. It belongs in fellowship. All roads in the kingdom lead to fellowship. All roads in the kingdom lead to a closer relationship with God. Your money, if tithing is just a vehicle that God has, has given us, I mean, it really works. I mean, if you just start sticking money away in your tithe account, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to say, wow, God's been good to me. Amen. People are thinking, well, I never hear from God. I don't know how to hear. I can tell you how to hear God's voice. Clear as a bell. Take the top 10% of every dollar comes into your hands and stick it in a special bank account and don't touch it till God speaks to you. When it gets up to be a couple million dollars, you'll hear him loud and clear. Don't worry about it. Amen. Amen. It might be sooner than that. So I talked on Wednesday night about if you see a guy on the corner with a sign and you want to give him $5, what's he going to do with that $5? Anybody. He's going to buy liquor, cigarettes, reefer, whatever, right? Right? That's how he got to that corner. Does that, make him, does that mean I hate him? No. But is that, it, is that fellowship kingdom money that's going into his hands? I don't believe it is. Now, I, had, I told the story when I was back on the radio a few years ago about a guy sitting out, leaning up against the gas station, you know, just looking all feeling sorry for himself, feeling forlorn. He says, man, I need $5. I said, what for, cigarettes? He said, yeah. I said, well, look, come on in the store, and I'll buy you some sandwiches and some food and stuff, and then we'll get your cigarettes. I got more people that called me on that one radio program. They're like, man, you really set me free because, you know, I mean, you made me think that God don't hate me for smoking cigarettes. No, God don't hate you for smoking cigarettes, and neither do I, because I used to smoke them like a choo-choo train. Yeah. Amen? Nobody ever loved it more than I did, man, and God set me free. So I get it. I totally get it. But don't you want to be free? But I understand when you're leaning up against a gas station and you hadn't slept indoors in a few months, pack of cigarettes looks like, you know, heaven to you, right? You've got to raise your vision. Heaven's a little higher than Marlboro country, okay? <laughs> so I took him in there and I bought him a few, couple of sandwiches. He grabbed one. I said, get another one, dude. 
He's like, really? I said, yeah, get two or three. Get whatever you get, whatever you want. He's like, can I get one of these? I said, sure, get two or three. He's like, really? I said, yeah. And we walked up there. We bought him his smokes and everything. Amen. Is that fellowship? No, that's alms giving. There's different kinds of giving in the kingdom, right? Alms. Jesus said, uh, you're going to have the poor with you always, right? Keep 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 up your alms program, giving to the poor. It's important. Right, But the poor folks in the body of Christ are more important to you because that's our, that's our primary responsibility. My responsibility as a man of God is not to hand out all of God's money to people that will never come to church. I'll say that again when we have a stadium. And then it'll sound a little bit different. But I'll say it again just so you, you, you know, I'll go on record. My responsibility is, as a man of God is not to hand out all the church's money to the heathen that are never going to come to church and just want a handout. That's almsgiving. That's not kingdom giving. Do you see the difference? There's no fellowship there because there's no trust there because I know they're saying, you know, need, we'll work for food. No, you won't. I've asked those guys. I need help. Come work with me. I'll give you all the food you want. I'll give you more food than you can... I'm smiling. Am I smiling? Am I being nice here? If you will work for three hours for me, I will give you bags of groceries. Yeah, but my cousin's coming in five minutes. So I don't want to miss him. You've been sitting here for six months in front of this store. Smile, Pastor. This is good news for God's people. That's not fellowship giving. That's not kingdom money. That's alms giving. That's your, you can give your, some of your money to that. You know where it's going. It's not going to bring forth 30, 60, 100 fold. It'll be one for one. Every dollar you hand out to the poor, God will make sure you got another one. But you need more than that to pay the rent and to get out of debt and to buy you a house and get you a nice Lamborghini, Countach, or six. You need exponential multiplication in order to become wealthy. And that comes from seed sowing in the kingdom. All right. Who's still my friend? Anybody still my friend here today? All right. I'm going to wrap it up here and let you go to lunch. Who's, who's hungry? You getting hungry? Huh? What do they got back there? Fried chicken? Hey, man, that's good. That's good. Praise the Lord. How many pieces of fried chicken we got back there? 100. That's all we got. That's all we got. That's all we got. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 10. Again, remember I, I shared with you that the book of 1 Corinthians is about relationship. Read it. See if it's not true. God showed me this this morning. It's right there in front of me. I don't know why. It's so simple. I'm sure some commentator has mentioned it before, but I've never quite seen it quite like that. The book of 1 Corinthians is about, is about relationship. The cup of blessing, chapter 10, verse 16, which we bless. Is it not the communion, the koinonia? Is the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread, which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Who is the body of Christ? I'll give you a couple more chances here. Who's the body of Christ? Tell your faith buddy, say you is, ma'am. You use the body of Christ up in here, ma'am. This is you're looking at the body of Christ. Look at that. Do not attempt this at home. All right. That could have gone really bad, huh? When you see the bread. You should see your brother and sister in Christ. Let me tell you something that communion could never do. 
You ready? Communion could never quit their home church with a text message. Am I on, is, is, are we on YouTube? Are we live on the World Wide Web? I said, I'll say it nice and slow, right? Communion cannot, will not, shall not quit your life, ministry, home church, friends and family with a text message. You, ne- you never were in communion. Never were. That's strong. It could, it's impossible. You had another agenda. You must have had another agenda. I don't know what it was. But communion cannot walk away from 30 years of marriage. That's right. Communion couldn't walk away from, from one year of marriage. Impossible. Fellowship, a pastor that is in fellowship with God and in fellowship with his people, could never steal one dollar from the offering. Cindy and I generously participate in every offering. Amen. Amen. And I I keep saying that because I want you to know that's true, right? I mean, this is so true. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Be ye not, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship, there it is, what communion, what koinonia does righteousness have with unrighteousness and what communion does light have with darkness? The answer is zero, right? Zero. Unequally yoked, we hear about that a lot. You can stand up so I'll stop preaching. If you have your offering ready, once you have that ready, and we're, we're going to receive the offering and to receive communion at the same time, okay? And you have a... I'll let you manage that, okay? Is there something I need to do? Okay. Unequally yoked, we hear about that a lot, and people ask us sometimes. That's like in the olden days when they would plow a field with two oxen, right? They would put something called a yoke on those two oxen. It was like a contraption with a piece of wood on top and two loops like this. And you put the two oxen, their, their necks in those loops. So they had to pull that thing together. They had to work together. If one's pulling this way and the other one's pulling that way, can you get anything done? No. Absolutely not. If one wants to go to church and the other one don't, what's fixing to happen? Not much. <laughs> 